Psalm 13, we're going to read these uh, six short verses and uh, take a look at those same verses. And before we do so, let's uh, pray. Our gracious God, you've your Holy Spirit to write your word, to move men to write. And as we come to it, we recognize that unless your Holy Spirit works, this will be, uh, as it would be every week, just a dead exercise. Nothing will be accomplished. Your name will not be glorified. We will not be moved in our hearts to praise and to worship you. And we will not be equipped for our works of ministry or changed and made more like your son. And so we believe in the Holy Spirit and we don't just believe in him. We ask that you would send him and fill our hearts and teach us things that we need to know and make us people uh, that are different so that we will not leave here the same as we walked in. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. All right, Psalm 13. Uh, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. As far reading of God's word, may he bless it to our hearts and lives tonight. So beloved congregation of hope and everyone with us here or listening this evening, uh, as you've read the Psalms, I'm sure you've discovered this. It's common knowledge, just going over some things that are familiar to us. The Psalms cover all the highs and the lows of life. When you read the Psalms, sometimes you can see David on a mountaintop, and sometimes you can see David in a deep valley. And even if you flip over to the New Testament, you can see that that same experience that David had is also part of what it is to be a new covenant believer. You can see in the life of Paul, who was caught up into the third heaven, was given a thorn so that he wouldn't become proud. But he could also say earlier in 2 Corinthians, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So it's just characteristic of the Christian life that there there are peaks and valleys. There are highs and there are lows. And Psalm 1's a bit of a high, uh, describing the really the happy life in Christ. Psalm 13 is a Uh, a psalm where David is in the bottom. And Spurgeon said something I thought was really helpful. I'm going to read that. God permitted David to go through many experiences, not so much for himself as for the good of succeeding generations. Whenever you look into David's psalms, you may somewhere or other see yourselves. You never get into a corner, but you find David in that corner. I think that I was never so low that I could not find that David was lower And I never climbed so high that I could not find that David was up above me, ready to sing his song upon his stringed instrument, even as I could sing mine. Now, regarding Psalm 13 in particular, if if Psalm 6 describes a believer under intense pain that doesn't last extremely long, so it's regarding an acute trial, Psalm 13 that we're looking at tonight describes a trial that just won't end. It's not so much the acute trial that comes and maybe a day or two is gone or even an hour or two is over. 
But this is a trial that keeps going and going and going like the Energizer Bunny uh, in a bad way. And it caused Andrew Fuller, when he read this psalm, to say, it is not under the sharpest, but the longest trials that we are most in danger of fainting. In other words, a, a sharp, acute trial that comes on suddenly is, is indeed a, a, a difficulty. But how about a trial that comes and doesn't leave and lasts for month after month, and then it rolls into year after year, into decade after decade of your life? That's the trial that we're dealing with in Psalm 13. And the true test of one's character, or really of one's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, is not how well we meet the enemy while our adrenaline is high, but how well we continue to run the race when not only is adrenaline gone, but strength is gone, and we find ourselves in the bottom of a pit filled with incredible weakness, with nothing to do other than cry out to the Lord. That's what David is facing here. And it's a psalm that's not really tied to anything in particular. We can conjecture and guess what this might be. Is he running away from Saul or uh, trying to get away from Absalom still out in the wilderness? We have no idea. Uh, but indeed, this applies to every one of our lives just as much as to David's uh, as a believer. And I want us to notice just three things. And the passage actually kind of divides itself up. Hopeless, worn-out Christians turn to God for relief. Okay, that's kind of the theme. And uh, there's a complaint here, verses 1 and 2. There's a request, verses 3 to 4. And then there's a cure, verses 5 through 6. So I want to begin first with the complaint. If you look at verses 1 through 2, you'll hear it. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? And how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Now, again, we're not sure what was taking place in David's life. But if we want to think about this um, regarding our lives and what this can apply to, meaning what does this look like in the life of a Christian? Uh, what are long trials that sometimes believers are called to go through? Uh, we can think of uh, having to go through months or years of a messy divorce, the death of a child, ongoing unemployment, recurring patterns of debilitating sin, tests of lack of assurance, debilitating sickness. All these things and thousands more can be parts of long trials. And David is offering his complaint and he's just saying, look, Lord, how, how much longer? David's at the end of his rope. He felt like God had completely abandoned him Notice the language, how long will you hide your face from me? And he felt like he was in this all by himself. And he asked, you know, will you forget me forever? Which is interesting because all throughout the Bible that David's read, God remembers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, God remembers uh, to put a rainbow in the sky every time it rains uh, on account of the covenant God made with Noah. And Isaiah 49 is as true in David's day as it is in our day that the Lord cannot forget. He's written us on the palm of his hands. A nursing mother may forget her infant before God will forget us as his children. Nonetheless, in the midst of this trial, it seemed like forever to David. And verse 2 describes a difficult situation he's in. In the midst of this trial, he needed advice and God was distant from him, not providing him any. So how long must I take counsel in my soul? And how long shall I have sorrow in my heart all the day? So David is stuck. He sees no way out. The trial has been going on for quite a while now, and he just wants it to end. But there's no end in sight. 
So we have the desperate questions of King David. Now, walk with me here for a moment. What does this have to do? I remember a, a professor in seminary said, read the Psalms until you can hear the voice of Jesus in them or until you can see Jesus in them. And if you ask these questions over and over, how long, how long, how long, and think about the Lord Jesus Christ, you can think, yeah, this is Jesus asking these same questions. How long, Father, must I suffer for these wicked people on this earth? How long, Father, must I bear with these people who have no faith? Matthew 17. How long must I wear this unexalted flesh? How long will Satan be allowed to try to kill me, to tempt me, to harass me by means of my closest friends, and to appear the victor over me? How much longer do I have to be on the losing end of things before the end comes? How long did this have to happen? For 33 years. For his entire earthly ministry, and especially at the end of it. The pain of the incarnation, the trial of his temptations, the heartbreak of coming to his own and having his own reject him, and the agony of being forsaken by his own father on the cross. Jesus Christ could ask all his life, how long, how much longer does this have to go on? And God's answer to that question was, all the way until they lay your body in the grave. And once they lay your body in the grave and you've committed your spirit to me, on the third day, it will be over. And that will be the end of the agony and the pain that brought us salvation. Now, I want to just walk this into our lives a little bit in, in uh, three or four ways. First, by mentioning this, what this psalm teaches us and all the rest of Scripture teaches us this as well is no Christian is trial-proof. No believer is exempt from trials. In fact, when our life is going extremely well, if we work at strengthening our faith and increasing our theological knowledge and, and, and working on understanding better the trials that come into Christian lives in order to prepare for them, when God brings a trial into our life and it's a matter of when, he will make sure it's a trial we never expected and he will bring us to our knees. It's impossible to be trial-proof or to become trial-proof. God will make sure that every Christian has to go through trials that are intricately designed for every one of us specifically in order to accomplish God's purpose in our lives. Second thing I want us to just notice or at least think about is when we're going through trials, the pain will cause time to slow down. Look at verse one, will you forget me forever? <laughs> Uh, again, the trial's been long. It doesn't look like there's any way out. But when trials hit, all of a sudden, the days start seeming like minutes. Or the, the sorry, opposite. <laughs> That's when things are going well. The days seem like minutes. When trials hit, the minutes take weeks. And it seems like the days take forever just to get through. And uh, that's what takes place in the midst of trials. And it's easy to ask this question, will you forget me forever? But again, I, I already mentioned Isaiah 49, 15. Can a woman forget a nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? The answer to that question is no. But catch this. Even these may forget. Yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. So when a trial hits, every Christian has the sure knowledge that God has not forgotten us. He, we are intimately in his plan, and he knows exactly what we're going through. He's designed what we're going through, and he's with us in the midst of it. The third thing uh, regarding uh, trials when they hit is, 
doing what David did, and that is to pray to God honestly and in faith. So when trials hit believers, we turn toward God, not away from him. So when difficulty comes into the life of a Christian, notice what David does. He doesn't walk away and grow silent. He actually turns to the Lord and starts unburdening a soul, and he's deadly honest, brutally honest. Lord, how long is this going to go on? Did you forget that I even exist? Are you here? Is this ever going to, is this going to go on forever? Honest questions, hard questions to ask. But that's one of the great things about the Psalms is the language of prayer, where we come before our Heavenly Father, and as children who can't understand everything that he brings into our lives because our minds are so feeble. As children, we come to our father like two-year-olds to parents when we're in difficulty saying, hey, how's, how's this working? I don't understand. Can you help me here? When will this end? What's going on here? So when trials come into our lives, one of the things we do is we turn to the Lord in prayer and we lean on him. And we recognize that indeed the trials will one day end and God does care and he hasn't forgotten us. But in the here and now, the trial may go on for longer than we want it to, unfortunately. And then finally, we should be encouraged that the hiding of God's face from us in the midst of a trial bothers us. Notice what bothered David. Have you turned your face from me? How long will you do this? That, that really bugged his soul. His heart was afflicted by that. And when we walk through life, beloved, and let's say our assurance of salvation gets pulled out the window, and let's say our assurance that God loves us and cares for us and that his salvation is that good and free starts walking out the door, your heart will go in alarm mode. And we will wrestle with that. And there will be no resting easy when that takes place. There will be nothing but heartache, prayer, tears, and wrestling with God. Lord, I don't know what's going on. When is this going to end? You've turned your face from me, and I can't handle this. I, I need you to turn back toward me. I need assurance that you love me, that, you're my that I'm your child, and that you are for me in the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's something to be aware of that we can say, well, the fact that I'm going through this trial and that God seems to have turned his face away from me means he doesn't love me. Uh, actually, the fact that that bothers you is proof of his love. Because if you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not going to bother you when you feel like the Lord's face has turned away from you. It's not going to bother you at all because you don't even know him. But for a believer, when you feel his face turn away or you think that's what's happening, your soul will be alarmed. The second thing I want us to notice is the request made by David, verses three to four. So consider and answer me, O Lord, my God, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. So there's three imperatives here. Consider, answer me, and light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, which is David's way of saying, we'd say, look, Lord, just take an account of what I'm going through. Would you please answer my prayers and bring an end to this difficulty? And would you prevent me from dying? Now, when the eyes grow dim, you think of Proverbs, you can think of Ecclesiastes, when the eyes grow dim, 
That's the sign of life going out of them. So he's asking the Lord to light up his eyes because in David's mind, he's about ready to die. And, is, and he doesn't want to sleep the sleep of death. And he doesn't want God's enemies to say, hey, look, we won. God isn't that powerful. God's anointed one isn't that powerful. We're more powerful than God is. So in the midst of this tremendous trial, David's main concern is actually how God will be perceived by his enemies. This incredible heart, a man after God's own heart. Lord, I don't want to die. I don't want your enemies to exalt over you. And if we turn over to the new covenant, there's this fascinating passage in Colossians 2.15, where we find out that God wins his battles precisely because he does not deliver his beloved from the enemy when, he think, when we think he should. Uh, Colossians 2.15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross. God let the enemy crucify Jesus and in doing so crush the enemy with the cross. It's a victory plan which goes against every fiber of David's being and also every fiber of our being. In fact, the author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And Jesus was indeed delivered from death after he died, not before. So God did not rescue a cross-bearing Jesus on his way to Golgotha. God rescued a dead Jesus by raising him from the tomb. God did not deliver the cross-hanging Jesus before he breathed his last. He delivered a linen-wrapped already a corpse Jesus out of the tomb. And God did not conquer Jesus' enemies by delivering Jesus before he died. He let them have their way and conquered them while he died. So the entire time Jesus was hanging on the cross, the whole scene depicted a defeated, a Jesus defeated by his enemies. And it is precisely through the weakness of the cross that God crushed Satan's slithering head. Now, what do we do with this? Look at verses five through six. Let me call this singing through the pain. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is where the psalm gets a bit interesting. We're not told anywhere that David's circumstances changed. For all we know, and most commentators, they, they, they mention this and agree, he's still in the midst of the trial. It hasn't lifted a bit. It hasn't abated. It's still going on when David pins verses five through six. But in the midst of this trial, which seems to have no end, David's heart rejoices and David starts singing. And he's singing about what? If you look at the passage, God's steadfast love, his salvation. And the word there is chesed. We've looked at this before. I think Craig mentioned it at our prayer meeting a month ago. It's a word used about 250 times in the Old Testament. It's notoriously difficult to translate because it's so big, the, the, the meaning of the word. Uh, I think older translations translated it loving kindness, uh, covenant love, steadfast love. Our equivalent in the new covenant is agape. It's a love that doesn't quit, a love that sacrifices itself for the well-being of someone else. It's an unconditional love, and it's the way that God loves us. So David trusts in the Lord's steadfast love for him despite all appearances to the contrary. Because if you looked at David in his situation, you'd say the Lord's given up on him. And yet David in the midst of the trial exercises faith, says, I'm gonna trust in the steadfast love of the Lord. Centuries later, there was a greater David who was on the cross 
the son of David. He was Jesus Christ. His suffering in his life had lasted for 33 years, got especially painful right at the end. During his life, he went through trial after trial after trial, try and kill him when he's under two, reject him when he's in his public ministry, try and throw him off a cliff. Over and over and over again, these trials kept coming and they kept coming. And as his life was nearing an end on the cross, his eyes were growing dim, his enemies were celebrating, thinking they had prevailed over him. Everything that was happening to David, Jesus was experiencing on the cross. And here's the one massive difference between David and Jesus. David said, Lord, you got to light up my eyes, lest I die and your enemies rejoice. And Jesus understood, Lord, I've got to go into death so that your enemies don't rejoice and we can crush them. So David was delivered from death so that enemies wouldn't be able to rejoice over defeating him. Jesus was delivered into death in order that his enemies could be conquered. And he says one of the greatest things in the world from the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Total trust. David trusted in God's steadfast love. Jesus trusted that his father would do what was right. When everything to the everything looked like Jesus was being defeated and God's enemies would exalt. It looked like Rome had won, the Pharisees had won, the devil had won, Judas Iscariot had won. And yet God won through it all. So David learned to trust God's steadfast love. While he lived, Jesus learned to trust God's steadfast love while he died. What God demonstrated on the cross and the resurrection is this. The long trials of believers always, always will end in victory and joy and singing. Let me say that one more time. What's demonstrated at the cross and resurrection of Jesus is that the long trials of believers will always end in victory and joy and singing in the midst of the trial and for sure at the end. Now let me conclude with this. In Christ, God has proven just how much he loves every believer. He's delivered us from the ultimate trial, namely hell itself. So now that we don't have to deal with the worst trial in the world that will never end, we do not have to go through infinitely long trials, ever. Our trials are always governed by this thing we call time, which will end for sure after like 80 or 90 years of life on this earth, and usually they end sooner. So we can be thankful for that. And one writer put it this way, hope is the ability to listen to the music of the future. Faith is the courage to dance to it in the present. And David didn't just hope in the future, he was dancing in the present. His heart and his mouth were singing. They were rejoicing, even in the midst of the trial. Learning to sing through pain is not a matter of optimism. It's a matter of faith. It's not a, hey, I'm a positive thinker, glass half full, therefore I'm doing better through this trial. No, it's a matter of faith. Because if we don't have anything to look forward to really, and our God doesn't really reign, and he didn't come down here to end human pain and sorrow in heaven, then optimism won't cure our trial. Faith cures it. It's a matter of believing that through the trial, God is with us, even though he feels distant. 
and God will bring about good through it, though it feels like a hell to us. And God will continue to love us to the end. After all, he has fully proved that in Christ, he really does love us. If God gave his only son to save us, then bringing us through trials into heaven where there's no more pain is a piece of cake for him. And then one more concluding thought. There are trials in this life which can be very long, this is true, but there is coming a trial which will never end. It's a trial that can never be revoked. That trial is eternal condemnation under God's wrath and hell. Things are so bad in hell that anyone there will wish to relive for eternity the worst life circumstance on earth rather than suffer the most pleasant place in hell for even a moment. In hell, no one will be asking how long because time will be irrelevant. Nobody will ask how long. Even this question, how long, is a question of faith because David knows, hey, this is going to come to an end. This will end when God wants it to. That question won't be asked because the writing on the wall will be the smoke or their torment goes up forever and ever. It never stops. So unbelievers may laugh and scoff at believers because of our trials in this life. But if you're not a Christian or we know Christians, of people who don't believe, I urge you to flee the greatest trial that is to come lest you perish eternally. Because trials in this life are long. They can be long and they can be hard, but they're nothing, absolutely nothing compared with the trial that Jesus Christ went through for us to deliver us from the wrath that's to come. Let's pray.